This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Could Jurgen Klopp look to repeat an old transfer trick? Liverpool are getting set to return to action in less than four weeks. But how seriously will they take the community shield? And we'll give our reaction to Liverpool's new Nike kit. That's all to come here on the latest Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Guy Clark. Lots for us to get into then. And alongside me, our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, who, working from home, has had the joys of a bit of technical DIY fixing your microphone Gorsty how are you mate yeah I'm okay uh, we're, we're cracking on aren't we we should be used to this work from home lock but I have problems with my mic and I've got my dog biting at my toes so we uh, we crack on and hopefully there's not too many technical malfunctions no it sounds as uh, comfy as being back in the the studio the good old days that were Dan Kay's also along for the ride Dan how are you keeping not too bad, thanks, guys. Feels a bit strange being in the first week of August. We normally be in like absolute like coiled springs, waiting for the season to start, and yet we only just had the FA Cup final. So it's everything still feels a little bit back to front, but we make the best of it, don't we? No, it certainly does. And uh, Matt Addison, Matt, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Still uh, adjusting, shall we say, to, to working from home. I think I've actually been working for the Echo longer now from home than I have in the office, which is uh, a slightly bizarre situation, but I'm sure we will get back there eventually. Yeah, eventually being the, the key word. But anyway, we are from home, as always, here on the uh, the Blood Red podcast. And as I say, we, we got a fair bit to, to get into today, guys. We'll have a chat about the Nike kit that was released over the course of the weekend uh, shortly. But also, we're going to talk about the Community Shield. Dan, you mentioned the FA Cup just before Arsenal, of course, beating Chelsea in that one. And then we're going to do a bit of... Get yeah, might just <laughs> cram it in somewhere. And then we're going to uh, get on to talking a bit of transfers, a bit of fun, talking about the relegated sides. It's something Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp have done plenty of in the past, picking up and cherry-picking a uh, player from one of those relegated teams and putting them into the Liverpool side. So we'll have our say on maybe which players might take a fancy this summer. But let's talk then first up about the Nike kit. Dil Gorsty, plenty of content from yourself on Saturday with the kit being launched and the reaction to it, I think the main bone of contention, the controversial part is, of it is the teal. I quite like it myself. What do you make of the kit? I, I quite like it, actually. Uh, I thought New Balance have been uh, very good custodians for the last five years or so. So many great kits. And I, I almost think with kits, it, it's um, it's a case of of the season you associate with it, isn't it? So you, you might see a kit that is actually... Um, quite nice, but because of the pool of other shocker of a season and it you, you wits. Um, so I, I kind of feel that is how you judge a kit, uh, which might be a little bit unfair, but you, you know, I see that kit from Warrior, which was can't remember what season it was now. It was actually quite a nice kit, but Liverpool had a, a shocker of a season. I think it might have been Brendan Rogers' last season and I, I I'd look at that kit and think, well that that's a bad one. But it isn't it, it is just kind of because of the season you, you associate with it or, or I do anyway, but I quite like it. You know, lots of people asking where the, the teals come from and it's come from the badge, hasn't it? You've only got to look at the, the original badge and it's, it's shades of, was it 93, Dan, that kit? Yeah, 93. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was a big fan of that one. So I, I quite like it. The only thing missing from it for me is the fact that I love the old Nike word written above the tick itself. I've mm. uh, seen them do that with Barcelona and, and Roma in recent years and, I love that old style design. That's the only thing missing for me. Well, I, I quite like it. Um, lucky enough that my friends at Nike have actually sent me a sent me a, a, a version of it. So I've 
uh, unboxed that today that's set for five aside this week and uh, I can apparently show it off on social media as of tomorrow. Well, that's pretty cool indeed. I have to say my name's not down for, for five aside this week, but it would have been good to see you in it see you in it anyway i'd say i'm probably wearing a shade of teal myself today but dan your thoughts on the kit and you said it obviously the the 93 95 kit the last few from a new balance bar i think the the champions league winning kit the two either side of it were obviously retro throwbacks redone as well weren't they they were the um the 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 pinstripe one dates back to the the early 80s which was my absolute formative years following liverpool i mean to back up what gorsi said you do have a an association negative or otherwise with the kit in terms of what you experienced in it. My memories of those 93, 95, see, like, well, particularly 93, 94, was, you know, the real confirmation that Liverpool were on the glass mountain going down just as I was really starting to go, to go regularly to the match. So it, it, it's, I have to, I don't love it. But when I first saw it, I did feel maybe a little bit nonplussed, but having seen a few videos and a few more pictures of it, I think it's one of these, I think it is kind of like a grower. In terms of the teal, Again, the only time I can really remember it being like red and green piping is that particular mid-90s era. But I did the the, the black and green away kit and all the green uh, training kit that we've had in the last season under New Balance. That particular shade of green, I love. I think apparently it is based on the liver birds. And, you know, so so I'm not particularly against it in that regard. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think they're particularly designed for fellas like me in the 40s. I, I did see a, a brilliant tweet that I kind of thought summed up the point, though, from a guy that some of our audience may know, a guy called Terrace Ultra, who's well worth a follow on Twitter. He produces unbelievable bespoke T-shirts and all kinds, and, he, and he's an absolute, you know, he, he's outstanding at what he does. But he made the point, after the, after the magnificent kits Liverpool had between 77 and 90, it's a tough job to create a truly great LFC kit. It is all subjective, though these kits will be iconic to a generation. And that's the point. It, it's, you know, for the youngsters particularly, if Liverpool continue their tremendous progress over the last couple of years and keep winning stuff, then people will love it. And that's what matters, I think. Yeah, I think one of the key things for me, Matt, I don't know about yourself, was obviously the Nike kit deal was signed and delivered on ages ago now. Then obviously the lockdown saw New Balance extended for a short while of time. It was all that excitement of actually waiting to see the new kit ahead of the new season, a time of year that I absolutely love. Yeah, I think I, I'm a fairly big fan of it. I think, you know, my favourite kit in, in recent times was the, I think it was the 1718 one, the, the sort of darker shade of red. I don't think I this one is is quite as dark as, as that, but, you know, it, it's one of those things. It, it's not as, as light as what we've seen it as well. So, yeah, I always think as well, you know, with, with kits and, and these sorts of things, they always look better in the flesh rather than, you know, a, a picture or an image or whatever. So yeah, I suppose I'll reserve judgment until I've actually, actually got my hands on one. But, uh, yeah, no, I've been fairly impressed with what Nike have done. Obviously, the most important thing for, for Liverpool is, is the commercial details of it, the sort of improvement that they'll get off the pitch from that and all the, the home kit, the training kit, the, the other stuff to, to be released over the next few weeks. I'm sure you know Nike will do a really professional job with the, the whole lot. And yeah, it's uh, it was interesting, uh, the reaction over the weekend. I think one or two people were, were maybe slightly disappointed to an extent, but... Look, the, the main thing is that, you know, as, as the other two have said, if we look back and, and Liverpool retain the Premier League whilst wearing this kit, I think a few opinions might change. Yeah, it is all about what you do in the, the certain kit. But I suppose, Gorsley, with the new kit being unveiled, it all sort of hints until, and gets the excitement going ahead of the new season, albeit the, the previous season only finished a week or so ago. It does now feel as though 
we are sort of gearing straight up, strapping ourselves back in and ready for the 2021 season now. Yeah, well, we're on the third now and, and the Community Shield is the 29th, is it? So as, as Dan says, we're kind of in, in reverse mode at the moment where you're normally looking ahead for the new season imminently and the previous ones only just ended. You're still kind of getting your head around all that. So it's it's a crazy period, but um, I suppose it's just one where you, you get on with it and a few months down the line, hopefully everything kind of falls back in line to a traditional type of calendar and, and the, the whole football calendar isn't too up the wall too much because obviously the European Championships are this summer or next summer, aren't they? I haven't been pushed back 12 months and obviously there's African Cup of Nations to come and so on. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange period, but um, at least you're not kind of counting the days down for for the fixture list to be unveiled or, you know, the, the transfer window is just dragging on and on and nothing's happening and all becomes a bit tedious because there's no time for that now, is it? It's very much just onto the next one and before we know it, it'll be uh, September 12th. Yeah, exactly. And that obviously the, the big kickoff date. Jurgen Klopp said after the Newcastle game, Liverpool had two weeks off. Dan, this is the second week of it. You mentioned before, obviously, the FA Cup final at the weekend. And I heard a, a lot of coverage on it saying, oh, it's, it's typical FA Cup final weather. Usually it's the end of May, the sun's out. I mean, we are at the beginning of August. What else would we be expecting? As you said, it, it does feel like the season should already sort of be about to start. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it often seems like the English summer seems to kind of pigeon itself at the start and end of the football season. You finish in sunshine, you start again in sunshine, but if you're a cricket fan, you're sitting in the rain for most of June and July often. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it will be the shortest, most unusual close season in, in living memory, but obviously because of this unique set of circumstances caused by the pandemic. Um, and it will be interesting to see how the teams respond to it. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, Opinions offered that kind of like, oh well, you know, the, the players were all sitting with the feet up for three months between March and you know end of May, whenever they came back for training, whatever. But I don't think it's necessarily as simple as that, particularly for for Liverpool, who obviously had played with this unbelievable intensity for three years, effectively, but also had like kind of like the mental pressure of you know at times wondering, are we gonna are we gonna have the you know twenty five points clear, which is what, what that's what the gap was during lockdown. Um, are we gonna have the league robbed from us? And I think we saw, you know, particularly once the league was won and sealed, you know, signs of that kind of weariness and, and mental weariness, I think, as, as much as physical. So this is where, you know, the expertise of Klopp and his backroom staff will really come into play, you know, and, and you know, everything we know about you know, the very scientific analytical approach that they've got to the way they work will um, will really have to come to the fore, as it has before, as it has previously. I mean, what was it with the start of last season? Sadio Mane come back to training literally the start of the week that ended with Liverpool playing Norwich on the yeah, Friday. Yeah, they played night. on the Friday. He came back on the Monday, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and and Mane, you know, Mane looks. I mean, maybe Mane's a bit of a freak of nature, but he looked one of the players right throughout the season and post lockdown that has had as much in the tank as anyone. So, I think we can put our trust in in, in Klopp and his team because they've proved time and again over the last four or five years that they very much know what they're doing. And they're, and they're very good at adapting to circumstances and changing in routine and doing whatever needs to be done to suit the um, the situation Liverpool find themselves in. Yeah, and I suppose on, on that, Matt, you've got two schools of thought of looking at it. You've got one, obviously, there isn't a big break for any comfort maybe to, to set in and any complacency for the Liverpool squad. The other the other side of it being is the flip of the coin that they've not got much of a break to then 
have to go again. And if they need to have a fast start like they did last year, they're going to really have to be at it right from the start. Yeah, I think they do have to to have a fast start. I think they've got obviously the advantage of being knocked out of the Champions League means that you know Manchester City are going to have to to play in that. You wouldn't be completely shocked if they got all the way to the final, and then I think it's what two weeks between the Champions League final and, and the start of the new season. So, you know that could be a major advantage. I think you know as Dan said, Liverpool are, are going to be prepared. Jurgen Klopp, Pep Linders, the rest of the the backroom team are are very capable of, of planning bespoke training sessions and, and things like that. They've shown that so many times in the past. And I suppose they'll already have had one eye on planning that for the last few matches of, of this season, even though they wouldn't you know, admit that publicly. I think you know, the, the fact that Liverpool already had the league tied up, they would have had you know, maybe one eye on, on what they could do during the summer, even if the players didn't, you know, the, the coaching staff and that sort of thing would have been planning ahead. So, yeah, I think Liverpool really, you know, have the opportunity to to start next season really, really fast. And we saw, you know, last season they did that. They won however many games it was on the trot to to begin the season and you know never really looked back from that. So I think look always with Liverpool momentum is crucial and, and next season they almost have an advantage in that regard that they will be better prepared going into the season than some of the teams around them. Yeah, and Liverpool Gorsley, of course, will start on the 29th, as you said before, the Community Shield against Arsenal. So they've got less than four weeks. And we know Jurgen Klopp, of course, likes to have that staple pre-season camp in Evia. And it is all going to have to be truncated and packed in to make sure that Liverpool are prepared. Yeah, it will. I mean, Liverpool normally have a round of local friendlies and then um, move on to the kind of big money spinning of the summer, which has traditionally been a matter over the last three years. And then a weekend every year and, and then the, the, the back at home. So there'll be no uh, no big big tour this summer. Every possibly is is on the agenda. That was sort of get, being looked at anyway earlier this year. There was talk of there just being a, a European leg of a pre-season tour, but now with the calendar and, and the way that it has to be, then that is more likely to be the case. And that's the one that Jürgen Klopp loves. It's a, it's away from all the all the bluster of the the cameras and the lights that follow him around America, and it is just very much him and his squad, where they can kind of hammer out the, the double and the treble training sessions um, and really get to work. So um, I think that that will probably be the case again before um, the, the big season starts. When it, you know, whoever Liverpool are going to be playing, I'm not even sure when the, the fixture list is out at the moment. But um, I think as long as Liverpool can kind of get that week in, I think Klopp will be happy because it, it's uh, he places so much importance on, on getting his players fit. Yeah, and just staying with you, Gorsley, on the, the community shield, of course, Liverpool were in it last year taking on Manchester City, but how serious do you think it's it's going to end up being on the priority list for Jurgen Klopp? Because if they have the week, obviously, in Evian, it is surely that the focus is going to be on defending this Premier League title. Not many sides, really, do back-to-back titles after winning their first one. No, no, so I think... I mean... I, I, I don't think I don't think it'll change too much. I mean, Liverpool will will go for it, and of course they'll they'll try the, the best to win the game. But I don't think they'll be too disappointed if they don't. Similar to twelve months ago when Liverpool played Manchester City and, and they got beat on penalties, um, it was more about the performance that day, and particularly second half, Liverpool absolutely battered Man City, and City were holding on. Um, so I, I think it'll be looked at more as in showing up and, and putting a performance in that kind of says. We're ready to go again, um, and obviously, if they win it, then then great. It's another, you know, another trophy on on the list or whatever. But um, I think it'll be more about 
showing up and and showing them that you're ready to go again more than you know squeezing a, a one nil victory where you've been battered for ninety minutes. And I suppose Dan, one of the, the disappointing elements, I suppose, with the, the community shield was prior to the, the weekend and the announcements that were made on on Friday by the government that it was sort of being looked at maybe as a test event for getting fans back to stadia, but doesn't look as though maybe that'll be the case now. It, that seems highly unlikely, doesn't it? Bearing in mind everything has been dialed back because of a rising cases, and obviously that has to be the primary consideration. That you know, it's for me, you know, as a kid growing up in the eighties, Liverpool were in the charity shield every year. Pretty much, that that's certainly how it seemed, and um, you know, some people might turn their nose up at it and say it's nothing but a glorified pre-season friendly. But you've got to be glorified to be in it. You know what I mean? The, the, obviously, although occasionally you can be in it for finishing second if someone's won the double. Um, and you know, to, to pick up on what Gorsi said about last last year's um, match against at Wembley against City, I felt that was a really important moment in Liverpool's kind of journey over the last three or four years. Obviously. 97 points the year before, but falling just short. We'd won in Madrid, but even they, although obviously we've all seen quite a few times recently that 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 video of Noel Gallagher going on about Liverpool had the greatest ever season, they didn't quite do it, it was too funny and all that. And I suppose there was kind of like a slight sense of doubt, well, you know, can Liverpool kick on? Can you know, it, it, can they swallow that discipline, even though they've broken through the trophy barrier? Winning Klopp's first trophy. And first half, we didn't really show up. City were, City were one up. Liverpool didn't really lay a glove on them. And I remember thinking, you know, it is only the charity shield, but I don't really want to be getting the train over. I haven't got beat three, you know, three, three or four one here. But the second half, it was a completely different story. You know, Joe Matip had his excellent equaliser. Liverpool were by far the better team. I would completely concur with what Gorsi said in that we battered them. And, you know, I, I personally was not one bit... I remember when the final whistle went, saying to me, mates, I'm not really asked what happens now. You know, I mean, obviously, I'd rather win than not win. But the penalty, you know, walking, walking out on the ground... It did feel kind of a little bit like a moral victory that we put a marker down and said to City, if you, we're not going nowhere. You know, we are going to be absolutely right on your tails. And obviously, that's exactly how it proves, you know, from the first few weeks of the season onwards. Yeah, it did definitely feel like that, Matt, didn't it? That that was the acid test for Liverpool even before the season's started. Don't lose that psychological battle. I suppose against Arsenal, though, it'll be different because they're not going to be a side contending for the league title with Arsenal next season. And maybe we spoke about him on, on Friday, maybe a chance for someone like Rian Brewster if he stays, about, stays around through pre-season with the extended transfer window we've got, maybe a chance for him to show what he could do. Yeah, potentially there, there could be a few different options that, that get played. I mean, I'd be surprised, to be honest, just because I don't think Liverpool are going to squeeze in too many friendlies. There's not going to be as much time to prepare for next season as there would normally be. So you'd imagine they might sort of go fairly strong. Of course, there is a, a two-week gap, isn't there, between the 29th and the 12th of September when the league season starts. So it's certainly you know something to certainly think about from, from Jurgen Klopp's perspective. But yeah, I suppose it, it sort of depends on, on the condition of the, the players at that stage. And you know, at this point in time, we don't know exactly what is going to happen with Ryan Brewster. But, you know, whoever does play, I can only agree and, and say it's going to be you know a, a fairly important sort of marker for, for Liverpool to, to kick on again, really. Obviously, there's no doubts over mentality or, or anything like that anymore. But I suppose it's, it's all about that performance. And, and certainly last season, in the second half particularly, Liverpool certainly showed that they were ready for, for the new season. And as soon as the new season kicked off, that just sort of continued. So, yeah, it'd be nice to, to see something similar again. And you'd imagine if Liverpool performed to the same level that they did against Manchester City 
against Arsenal, they will probably win rather than, than end up getting beat. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, in the second half then of today's pod, we're going to look to the relegated sides. Liverpool have in the past picked some gems out of relegated sides. Andy Robertson, Jeannie Vinaldum, Jordan Shakiri, three that immediately spring to mind. So we're going to look through the three sides that have been relegated from the Premier League this year, Norwich, Bournemouth and Watford. We'll go through them each and each pick a player perhaps who might be worth a punt on for Liverpool. Matt, I'll, I'll start with you on this one and we'll start with the side that finished bottom and that of course being Norwich City. Yeah, there's uh, not loads of, of options, to be honest. I think, you know, earlier in the season, a lot of people were, were praising Norwich for the way that they were playing and that sort of thing. But you know, in the end, it sort of all fell apart for them a little bit and the, the results weren't there, even when the performances were and that sort of thing. So it, it's difficult to, to sort of pick out some players. I think Jamal Lewis would be my pick. I think, you know, Todd Campwell, I mentioned earlier in the season in January, potentially could have been one. Emi Buendia as well is, is someone that, you know, anyone who's sort of looking at, at data and statistics has picked him out plenty of times. But I think Jamal Lewis, you know, as a, a left back being a position that Liverpool probably need to, to strengthen, if anywhere, um, I think he would make sense. Ben Godfrey is a, a decent player, but I just think that the price for a centre-back for him is going to be, what, 30-odd million, you know, apparently AC Milan and, and Bayer Leverkusen are interested. So, Certainly Liverpool are not going to be sort of paying that sort of fee. So, yeah, for me, Jamal Lewis seems to make the most sense. Yeah, of course, I have to say that I can't recall a Premier League team like Norwich ever before. They've finished bottom of the table and quite a way adrift of the rest. Only picked up 21 points. They conceded 75 goals and only got five wins. Yet everyone is sort of keen and quick to talk about players that could potentially leave there and go into other Premier League sides. They don't really strike me as a, a team full of players who have shown they're capable at this level. No, not me. I, I find it strange. I think they kind of get a lot of praise for, for playing the right way because they were rock bottom and they were for most of the season. So, essentially, they're playing it the very wrong way, aren't they? Um, I think I agree with Matt. Um, it was a toss-up for me between Max Adams and, and Jamal Lewis. And I think Liverpool probably need the left-back more than need the right-back at the moment. Um, and Lewis probably... Similar kind of skill set to, to Andy Robertson, if you like, you know, very quick and, and loads of energy getting up and down that left side. Um, much prefer someone like that than James Milner being shunted in there again for another season. So, uh, Wendy was was a, another candidate, but I, I'll go with Jamal Lewis. Yeah, no, interesting thoughts. And Dan, you're going to complete the set with Jamal Lewis or you've got your eye on someone else? Well, he, he was the one that I, I did on, on the little list that I made, because obviously primarily because Liverpool, I think it's well, documented are certainly looking to bring in cover at left back. Um the the, the young lad in midfield Campwell, he had you know he had a few decent moments through the course of the season, but I'm not sure that's particularly an area that Liverpool are looking to strengthen in. The only other one I'd mention it and it's really kind of in a slightly kind of heart you know lighthearted way. I don't think there's any indication that Adrian will be going anywhere. But if Liverpool were looking for for a backup goalkeeper, what didn't didn't Tim Krul once get brought on in a World Cup tie just to save penalties? Yeah, I think it was the last 62 that, game, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Gaal, it? yeah, yeah, it was under Louis van Gaal, yeah. Uh, has Alisson saved the penalty for Liverpool yet? I don't think he's had to face too many, to be honest, but um, he may well be an excellent penalty taker. But yeah, he he, he was the only other one that sprung to mind. But I, know, I think if, if there was to be anyone, it, it would be Jamal Lewis. 
Yeah, that very very niche decision it would be if you did go for for Tim Krul Gorsley. Come back round the other way to to you. Then we'll we'll go down to the south coast and Bournemouth, another side that plenty of names get thrown around. One twelve months ago was Ryan Fraser, but I don't think he's going to be on anyone's lips today. Yeah, strange one, wasn't it? He had, he had a very good season season before this one. Is he is he third in the in the assists behind De Bruyne and Spence, possibly? Um, for whatever reason now he's, he's out of contract and doesn't seem to be attracting too much attention. I think it might be possibly wage-related for that. Um, I mean, if we're looking at Bournemouth, I mean, I know Lloyd Kelly was someone who looked up at last summer before Bournemouth came in and offered uh, Bristol uh, 13 million. Liverpool decided to, to stay clear of that, but perhaps he could be someone that they could revisit um, at a knockdown price. Obviously, he can play in the centre as well as, as left, left back, so probably... I'd be looking for him um, outside of, you know, Josh King or Callum Wilson, who are obviously the big stars for Bournemouth. Um, so, yeah, I'd go left back again. Yeah, Matt, there's been rumours going around that Callum Wilson could be available for as little as £10 million. That would seem a very Liverpool thing to do, to go and get a, a prized asset like that for a, a cheap deal who could certainly be a good squad player. But where's your thinking with Bournemouth? Yeah, no, I did think about him. Um, I think David Brooks in midfield is a fantastic player. Really like watching him play. But again, it's not really a position that, that Liverpool really need to strengthen. Harry Wilson, of course, was on loan there. I don't know whether he counts, but I suppose he'd be the most likely. Um, but the one that I'd go for, I think, is is Josh King. I think, you know, maybe not had quite as good a season this season, but certainly the one before last. I think, what did he score? 14 or 15 in the Premier League, I think, for, for Bournemouth that season. I think he'd be, you know, a decent option. I think he's somebody who can play through the middle. He can play right and left, and I wouldn't mind him as as being a backup. So, yeah, I think, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's very likely. But I think my pick would be probably Josh King. Can you imagine him going to Old Trafford and scoring for for Liverpool there, having been schooled at Manchester United? That would be quite a uh, turn up for the books. But uh, Dan, anyway, I suppose Matt said Harry Wilson. Anybody going to take Dom Solanke back? Um, well, d- didn't he didn't he score against Everton the other week? Yeah, well, there you go. So he's already kind of getting himself back in favour with the uh, the Red Heart of Merseyside. Um, I mean, again, I preface this by saying I don't think it's going to happen because I think the, uh, the the money that would be talked about would be certainly above and beyond what Liverpool would be <laughs> prepared to pay. But with Dejan Lovren having left the club, I think you know it's accepted that Liverpool may well be looking to bring in, bring in another centre back. And I think I'm right in saying that Nathan Ake hasn't signed for. Manchester City or Manchester United or anyone else yet has he? So it, it, there is kind of like a nice, it'd be a nice little bit of needle if Liverpool could just swoop in there and, and clutch him out of there, uh, clutch him out of the jaws of, of one of the Manchester clubs. But I think that's highly unlikely to happen. Um, he, he does look a decent player, but um, you know I think would be you know Bournemouth, understandably having gone down and you know having to deal with it probably. It, never a good time to get relegated out of the Premier League, but this is probably the worst time ever. Giving you know, bearing in mind. You know the serious financial climate a lot of clubs will be facing. They will be looking to maximise their asset, and I imagine they'll be. You know, they won't be looking at accepting anything less than forty or fifty million, which I can't imagine Liverpool would be prepared to pay. No, certainly not. But let's then stay with you, Dan. The the final club. Then we need to get to of the relegated three from the Premier League mm. are Watford. Yeah, well, I would go for Ismail Saar, Sadio Mane's mate. Um, one of the night, you know, the I think we've mentioned them on these podcasts before. The inside Anfield videos that the club have put out every week after every game, uh, which gives a really nice little snapshot of you know, behind the scenes what goes on at Anfield. 
And I think it was after the game at Anfield in December. Liverpool won 2-0 just before the trip to Qatar for the World Club Cup. And I think he missed a couple of he missed a couple of big chances that day, didn't he? Kind of caught a couple of air shots in front of the cop first half. But there was a lovely little snippet inside of basically Mane, Mane having a chat with him. And he said to one of the uh, one of the Watford staff as he was leaving, look after my brother or look after my man or something like that. And um, also, as well, he looked a decent player. He, he, he scored in the 3-0 defeat at Vicarage Road, took his goal very, very well. Um, and looks a very promising young player and would give Liverpool maybe a little bit different up front, something a little bit different up front. You wouldn't imagine, you know, 20-odd, 30-odd million. So it, it, I think he certainly would be the one I would go for um, from the Watford crop. Yeah, he does certainly look like an eye-catching player, of course. And his dancer there, he played brilliantly both home and away against Liverpool. But a player I would sort of throw in the mix would be a player who can also play on the wing in Gerard Delafeu. Can't imagine he's going to be sticking around at Watford. No, he was, he was the other one I was thinking of, actually. But obviously he got that bad injury against Liverpool, didn't he? And he's going to be off for some time. Um, it's a funny one with Watford. Every time I look at their squad list, it seems to have someone new on there that I've never heard of. Um, so I'll probably go with Saar. Um, just... Basically, it's a similar reason Dan says, you know, someone who's versatile can play on either flank, someone who's young, uh, loads of loads of time to develop. Um, she plays Sadio Mane, knows well, and I think he's almost got that profile that the pool might be looking at, someone who's got a bit of a ceiling um, and is young and, and can obviously become a star in the Premier League at a, at a bigger club if he does kick on and kind of fulfil his potential. So, that's an almost ideal profile that Liverpool tend to tend to look at. The only problem I think now is I think Watford bought them for about twenty five million last last summer, club record signing. Just be a question of if they're looking to kind of make a profit on him, then would Liverpool enter the market for that? I'm not sure they would. Yeah, I have to say Crystal Palace have been linked with him for for forty million pounds, which Matt, I suppose, as Gorsty says there, would probably be the stumbling block over Ishmael Assar. Yeah, there was three on my list. I actually quite like Gerard Delefeu, but he wasn't one of them. I think Ben Foster would be an excellent second-choice goalkeeper. I don't think he would choose to, to go and leave a club without having first-team football, though. Roberto Pereira was another one. Um, former Juventus player, of course, but he's 29. So, you know, he's... A player that I think would fit in at Liverpool again can play either side, can play as a number 10 as well. So it'd be quite nice to have that versatility. But you know, again, 29 years of age, I don't think that's likely. And yeah, it came back to, to Ishmael Assar, 22, still very young. Obviously, the Mane links sort of similarities in the way that they play. I think primarily plays off the left side, which I think Liverpool are, are more in need of, of cover for in that front line. So yeah, he'd make the most sense. But I would imagine if Wilfred Zaha leaves Crystal Palace, there's a good chance that, that Saar will end up there. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see if any end up at Anfield, see if Michael Edwards is, is listening into the Blood Red podcast and whether he's taking his transfer tips from us guys. I'm, I'm sure he probably isn't. But before we go, Gorst, you just we've had, we've had a couple of messages in on the, the YouTube live chat whilst we've been recording the podcast. And Obviously, it has seemed with Liverpool that maybe there will be players sold to bring players in further down the line. And a few reports doing the rounds over the course of the weekend around Joel Matip and Divock Origi. Well, I've been off for a week, actually, so I'm not too um, too familiar with the, the very latest rumours. But um, 
I wouldn't imagine Liverpool are going to entertain any offer for Joel Matip at the moment. We've got three senior centre-halves, um, so I think it'd be crazy to let him go unless they've got at least another one lined up in the pipeline. Um, Origi, um, not as certain of him staying, but he only signed a new contract last summer. Um, he's a player who would do very well in another Premier League club if he was playing every week, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, so Liverpool would demand you know, decent fee for him. They wanted £30 million about three years ago, I think. Um, so I'd imagine he'd be looking for at least a similar figure this time around. Um, so I think he might stay as well. But certainly as far as Latip is concerned, I don't think Liverpool would be looking to sell him at, at all at this point. No, and another player as well who recently, or not too long ago, signed a new contract at, at Liverpool as well. But that wraps up things for us on this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Do remember, if you want Liverpool news direct into your email inbox, do sign up for the Liverpool Echo LFC newsletter. Twice a day, you'll get the latest transfer news and everything else out of Anfield straight into your email box. But you can also, of course, keep across the Liverpool Echo website and all the content that we have for you on the Blood Red channel. Thanks to Matt Addison, Paul Gorst and Dan Kay, and from myself, Guy Clark, and the rest of us here at Blood Red. Thanks for your time and company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.